the jacket. You cannot begin to talk about autumn unless you are speaking of the wind and the quality of light. For it all starts with the wind, the first really chilly breeze to touch you on the back of your neck, not the cool and refreshing breeze of August that you welcome with your face turned to greet it, but the first gust with any malice or danger to it, the kind that makes your shoulders tense in anticipation. That's when you know it's really fall, because of course it comes on the wind, carrying the dizzying aroma of burning leaves and gauzy gray skies, sharp but mellow in your nose, the ancient smell of wooded country hills dotted in the night with tiny little fires host to strange and terrible rituals. It is the season of romance, when the lethargy of the late summer soul wanes and the blood quickens and anything seems possible. South Harbor was first and foremost a summer town, of that there can be no doubt. The town lit up in the summer, filled beaches and every odd little shop on the three brick-paved streets downtown overrun with people, all bare calves and sunglasses. The summer houses lining the waterfront emptied come Labor Day. The beach concession stands shuttered their windows against the coming onslaught of the winter months. So Tim Barlow was surprised to find, on his walk to the grocery store during the first week of October, a town perfectly tailored to the very particular hue of a Midwestern fall. Front lawns donned in brilliant pointillist reds and oranges, and jack-o'-lanterns began appearing in dark windows tucked away from streetlights, the wind blowing naked tree branches tapping against dust-smothered glass. Tim Barlow was thinking all of this, and more than thinking, he was breathing it and feeling it run goosebumps along his exposed skin as he entered Harding's, the grocery store down the street from his new house. He finished his shopping and was making his way towards the checkout lane when he heard someone several lanes down... He finished his shopping and was making his way towards the checkout lane when he heard someone several lanes away shouting, Hey! Tim turned in the general direction of the shouter, but assuming that it was nobody he knew, quickly turned his attention back to the candy rack. Hey! When he heard the voice coming towards him, he realized someone might be trying to get his attention, and so he turned just in time to face the man as he reached him and grabbed him roughly by the collar of his jacket. Now it was Tim's turn. Hey, he said back, knocking the man's hand off of his shoulder. That's my jacket, yelled the man. Once more he reached for Tim's jacket, now trying to rip it off. Tim tore himself away. What are you talking about? I've had this jacket for years. You stole it from me last week at the coffee shop. I left for five minutes to go to the bathroom and when I came back my jacket was gone. I don't even know what coffee shop you're talking about, said Tim Barlow. I haven't been to a coffee shop in months. I know that's my jacket. There's even a stain on the front by the pocket. Tim looked down and saw that his jacket did indeed have a stain by the pocket. That doesn't mean... But he trailed off. Everyone in the store had stopped what they were doing to watch the confrontation. The man grabbed him again, hard now, and with both hands tried to drag Tim out of the checkout aisle. Somebody call the cops, he shouted. Tim stumbled forward, tipping his shopping basket as he did and spilling produce and milk all over the beige tile floor. Free of the man's grasp, he quickly regained his balance and made directly for the exit. That night, Tim looked up from the sink where he was doing that evening's dishes and saw a car parked on the street in front of his house, the headlights on bright. A moment later, the driver revved the engine and sped off, tires squealing as they went. Tim Barlow went around and locked all of his doors after that, something he normally didn't do until he was getting ready for bed. Laying in bed, Barlow replayed the incident at the grocery store over and over in his head. 
Sleep did not come easy as it usually did for him, and he woke up sweating mid-dream several times during the night. Always right as the man was pulling him back into the checkout aisle, in a very cramped and tiny recreation of Harding's, the cashier glowering at him with sharp, glimmering teeth. Still, the sun rose in the morning, and with it came a reinvigorated sense of the normalcy of the world. Tim found it much easier to breathe freely now, to think more than two minutes into the future and plot out his day without feeling as if a great weight were tied around his neck. The optimism shattered thoroughly and for good when he heard a knock on his door, just as he was getting ready to leave for work. It was two police officers. Looking over their shoulders, Tim could see that a handful of gawkers had gathered on the sidewalk to watch. Mr. Barlow? asked the first officer. Tim nodded. I'm sure you probably know why we're here. Am I under arrest? Tim asked, his voice rising half an octave with panic. Uh, no, not this time. We just need to ask you some questions about a jacket that's been reported stolen. Look, you can look at it. It's my jacket. Tim ran to his hall closet and came back holding out the jacket. The officer nearest him took the jacket and examined it. Mm. Same brand, he said to his partner. Tim's face began to grow warm. So, he, he said, that, that doesn't prove anything. The officers exchanged a glance, and then the one nearest Tim handed back his jacket. We appreciate your cooperation. Uh, we'll be in touch. By that evening, more than two dozen people had congregated on Tim's lawn. Criminal, shouted one, red-faced. You should be thrown in jail. Someone hammered a sign into the soil. Coat thief. Someone threw a rock through Tim's living room window. He called the police. They arrived a few minutes later and pushed their way through the crowd and into Tim's house. Look, what do you want us to do? Said the same officer who had examined his jacket earlier in the day. They're harmless, said the other. Did you see my window? Said Tim. Look, if any of them actually come into the premises, then give us a call and we'll come back. Tim protested, but the officers were already on their way out the door. Are you going to arrest him? Tim heard someone ask them. Not tonight, came the reply. The crowd thinned out as the clock crept towards eleven. Tim called his mother at her home back in Connecticut. She early went to bed before midnight and answered on the second ring. Hey, Mom. Tim, how are you? He explained everything that had happened to him since his trip to the grocery store the previous day. His mother listened silently. He could occasionally hear her breathing on the other end. He was nearly crying by the time he finished, and he tried to keep his voice from wavering. Well, just tell him he didn't take it. I... Tim cut himself off before he could raise his voice any further. All right, yeah, thanks. He said goodbye to his mom and hung up the phone. He awoke in the morning to a loud crashing noise coming from the kitchen. He rushed downstairs and found a small mob in his house. His couch had been tipped over and everything from his coat closet was strewn across the floor. A woman in the kitchen was ripping out drawers and tossing them to the ground. One of the men wore a pistol holstered to his belt. They found your bank statement, said the first man to notice Tim. You bought coffee from the coffee shop the same day the jacket went missing. Tim thought about it and realized with horror that he had met his mother at the coffee shop last week. She'd been in town visiting, and he was giving her a tour of the area. "'Where's the jacket?' someone yelled. "'It's my jacket!' Tim yelled in response. He ran back upstairs and locked his bedroom door behind him. 
He picked up his phone to call the police, but on looking out his window, he saw that there was already a squad car parked in front of his house. A loud pounding on his door caused him to jump. Give us the jacket or we'll come in there and take it. Tim then heard a small commotion outside his door, followed by another, quieter series of knocks. Mr. Barlow, it's the police. Open the door. Tim obeyed and let the officers into his room, closing the door behind them. We need the jacket back, Tim. It's not his jacket. It's my jacket. Stop shouting, sir. If you want us to protect you, you need to help us out. Tim looked down to the floor. Then he went to his closet and grabbed the jacket. I'm getting this back, right? It's mine. I didn't steal it. The officer took the jacket. Presumably, if he didn't steal it, then yes, you'll get it back after we've completed our investigation. The other officer grabbed Tim's arm and moved to cuff him. Tim tugged his arm away. What are you doing? We're putting you under arrest for your own safety. My own safety? Tim backed away from the two officers, but then he remembered the man in his living room with the pistol, the rock through his window. You can keep me away from these people? The officer nodded. Tim sighed and held out his hands. The officer grabbed him hard by the wrist and yanked it behind his back, slamming the cuffs down on him. Tim was marched through the now cheering throngs of people in his front lawn and shoved into the back seat of the squad car. The holding cell was windowless and Tim quickly lost track of day and night. He was the cell's only occupant. For hours and hours, maybe even days, he saw nobody. Occasionally he would hear a phone ring in some far off part of the building or the engine of a passing car. He was nearly delirious with hunger when an officer he'd never seen before entered the room and unlocked his cell. Am I good to go? asked Tim, rising uncertainly to his feet. The officer laughed. Uh, to your trial, sure. Tim stopped. My trial? I was never even charged. Matter of fact, you were. The officer placed the handcuffs on him once more and led him roughly out of the cell. The courtroom was packed with strange and leering faces. A man in a suit introduced himself to Tim only as his attorney. The man from the Hardings was seated across the aisle, the first time Tim had seen him since that day in the store. The man didn't look at Tim, kept his gaze fixed towards the front of the courtroom. The judge entered and the trial began. The prosecution paraded nearly a dozen witnesses to the stand, all people who claimed to have been in the store on the day of the accusation, or in the coffee shop on the day that the jacket had allegedly been stolen. Tim sat patiently in his seat, fists clenched. Finally, it was the defense's turn to call their witnesses. Tim began to stand, but the lawyer placed his hand on his shoulder. We have no witnesses to call, Your Honor. Tim looked at the man, shocked. No, you can't do that. I want to speak on my behalf. It's too risky, said the lawyer. Besides, they have no case. You only hurt yourself. Tim contemplated this a moment. They don't? he asked. No, the lawyer winked. We've got this in the bag. Sit down. Tim did as he was told, and soon the jury was sent away to deliberate. They returned only a few minutes later with a guilty verdict. The crowd erupted in cheers. The judge began to speak, something about Tim's lack of remorse and his refusal to return the jacket even after he'd been caught, his failure to pay the Hardings Corporation for the produce he'd ruined, his resistance when the police tried to arrest him. But the crowd drowned him out, and then someone reached over the barrier, hooked their arm around Tim's neck, and pulled him back into the sea of people. 
Tim thrashed around, trying to free himself, but there were too many hands clasping to him, gripping him, holding him in place, and more with each passing second. He tried to scream, but the arm around his neck choked off his words. They carried him out the front door and onto the courthouse lawn, where a homemade gallows had been erected. People poured out onto the lawn behind him. Cars stopped abruptly on the street to watch as he was marched up onto the platform. The rope placed around his neck and cinched tight, a burlap sack placed over his head. He was perversely, momentarily glad for the sack, because he was now crying, and with his hands bound he could not wipe away or conceal the tears. He chuckled to himself. What a stupid thing to worry about, he thought. He felt the weight shift on the platform as everyone else stepped off, and he began to think about his life, his mother, his old house. If he'd just ordered takeout that day and went grocery shopping the next. When his thoughts returned to the present, he realized that he could hear birds chirping somewhere nearby. The crowd had gone utterly silent. A murmuring reverberated throughout the crowd. A moment later, he heard footsteps on the wood planks of the gallows platform. He recoiled when he felt hands on him, but they were loosening the noose. Someone else removed the sack from his head. The sky was impossibly blue, not a single cloud from horizon to horizon. The rope was lifted off of his neck and his hands unbound. What's happening? He asked one of the men guiding him off the platform. The man looked at him, grinning. Oh, they found the jacket. One of the coffee shop employees found it on the ground and it was sitting in the lost and found. Tim's lips trembled. That's it? He said. That's it? Well, you didn't steal it, said the man. So, that's it. The crowd was already beginning to disperse as Tim walked across the matted, luminescent grass towards the sidewalk. Someone came over to him and put their arm around his shoulder, squeezing him in tight. Sorry about that, boss. Tim let out an involuntary laugh. <laughs> no worries, he said. A sharp breeze sent a low whirlwind of dead leaves skittering over the pavement. Tim was walking with the stragglers of the crowd now, all headed in the same general direction away from the courthouse. They passed a yard with a scarecrow on the porch, a white-sheeted ghost hanging from an old oak tree. The late-day sun cast long, lurid shadows over the Auburn streets. Someone from the crowd came scurrying back in Tim's direction. Hey, did you guys hear? He said, speaking to anyone and everyone in the vicinity. Some bastard stole Dave Flanagan's lawnmower, running out from his garage last night. No, gasped the lady just behind Tim. That son of a bitch, said someone else. And Tim marched on with the crowd, their pace quickened now, and an autumn electricity crackling in the air, footsteps clopping eagerly along one of the brick streets that ran through the quaint downtown. It really is a great little fall town, isn't it? said the man nearest Tim. Yes, it really is. And he was glad to live there.